and welcome to Prompt Night, uh, brought to you by the Basic Pitches. My name is Dan, and with me... Hi, I'm Reese. Prompt Night is basically a new podcast where the two of us will scour the internet looking for a three bizarre, quirky, unusual stories, or stories that catch our eye, present them to each other, and we will then decide which story the opposing person has to write about. So, Reese, why don't you start by letting us know your topics? Uh, well done. I have scoured the internet for the weird and wonderful. And first up, I've got a new website for you, which I think you're going to... Okay. So, what, what, uh... so you've, you're a man of the world. You've been around for a while, uh, a bit longer than I have. And Careful. I'm sure you remember as fondly as I do. <laughs> I'm sure you remember as fondly as I do uh, just how fragile the internet has been. Uh, by which I mean that maybe, you know, maybe some of your websites have come and gone. Are there any websites that used to be around that you wish? Uh, I mean, I remember the, the, the GeoCities um, was obviously a, a precursor to many websites for people. Um, and I know there's certain things like these be the, the the way back machine. Oh yeah, yeah, there's the way, way back of machine. Trying to find things, but uh, go on, tell us what have you found? Yeah, well, you know how. Um, yeah, uh, things on the internet now are kind of owned a lot of the time by kind of these large multinationals, and they feel like they'd be around forever. But there's one website that dares to differ. It's called this website will self destruct dot com. And the basic premise of it is that unless it receives a message by just some random on the internet, every couple of minutes, it will permanently delete itself. Sorry, if it goes 24 hours without a message, it will permanently self-destruct and everything on its database. So wait, this this website threatens to destroy itself. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's amazing. That's amazing. So every 24 hours, it needs every to receive hours, a message. Yep, one message a day, and if it doesn't get that, it's gone. How long has this website been going for? Do we know? Um, well, I, I believe the internet knows. <laughs> it's been going for, uh, let's say, seven days. <laughs> I don't have those facts, I and mean, we live in a post-truth world. Oh, I'll, I'll yeah. let you off this time. I'll let you off this. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Next time I'll have it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th I think it's really cool, and it's really cute. How do you send the message? So you go to this website, or selfdestruct.com, and you scroll down, and you can leave a message. And all the messages start with, dear websites. Do you want to hear some messages that have been left on this? Yes, we do. I think we do, yes. So uh, every time you load up the website, you have to click read a message. And so this is totally random. This hasn't been prepared. Live on air, I'm going to read to you an anonymous message from the website. It goes, dear website, I know you've made a lot of mistakes. And hurt a lot of people, but so have I. We both have. Just remember that I think you're precious, and I will never forget. Ah, oh, that's really sweet. That's excellent. Uh, that's fantastic. Okay, so that's your that's your first uh, your your first topic. That's my first topic. That's very uh, unusual. How did you even find that? <laughs> well, you know, I this isn't going to be as cool as you want it to be but basically Google rep recommends weird articles. And that was one of them. That was top of the list. No, I like that. I like that. A website, so, yeah, purely, I like that a website purely created to attempt to kill itself and the <laughs> public 
basically have to talk to it every day to keep it alive. That's really I mean, I haven't interpreted it quite like that, but yeah, sure, go for it. That's, that's definitely one way to read it. I mean, I've heard of built-in obsolescence, but not sort of to that degree, you know, a sort of built-in self-destruct. Yeah, wow. there's this, um, I saw this little robot a little while ago. I thought it'd be great as a Christmas present. And basically, its sole purpose is you flick the on switch, and a little hand reaches out and flicks the off switch, and then it reclines. Reminds I've, me of that. I've seen some of those um, sort of Japanese toys that are quite similar. It's like one will be um, you put a coin on the box, and then a cat mm, paw yeah. comes out and claws it back. But yeah, there's a machine that will fight you to turn it back off again. I've seen that. This is. Yeah, it's sort of... It's... Hang on, that will fight you to turn it off. Yeah, so like obviously you, you, you flick the button on and a hand will dive out and knock the, the, the button back off again. It's, uh, it's, it looks, I mean, yeah, the way you're describing it sounds dystopian. I love it. it it's a machine like almost created for no purpose other than to, you know, uh, do the inverse of, of what you do. It's quite funny. Do you want to hear my next one? I do. That's a fantastic first topic. Okay, so a website that kills, wants, that wants to kill itself uh, and we have to keep it alive. That's a remarkable first topic. Uh, okay, what's your second topic? The second one was a listicle, and I'm hoping that maybe we could, this is um, like a prompt to workshop an idea, maybe. So the listicle was 100 sci-fi movies that critics were too harsh on. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but I love sci-fi films, and they're not always made as thought through as they should be. And maybe the budget isn't I don't know if that's uh, something you've experienced. I, I mean, I am quite fond of the odd B-movie. Um, and I think some films are so bad they're good. And potentially not for the <laughs> original reasons uh, that the director were after. But that's how you get cult status sometimes. Yeah, I think so. Like um, the original uh, of Total Recall, the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, that felt a bit B movie esque. It's like awful. the effects were. Oh, the effects are awful. Uh, <laughs> but it's 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 almost a feel good kind of vibe to it. Like if it's on, it's quite difficult not to sort of sit back and go, "I, I need to, I need to see it again." Right. It was a different era. I think there were different expectations of films back then. And now we kind of expect uh, sci-fi to be really slick. As, like The remake of Total Recall is a perfect example of that. Like We want it to be bright and shiny with lots of flashing lights, kind of something J.J. Abrams. But then again, if you look at things like Iron Sky, uh, which is completely schlocky, uh, and I thought was, was a, a brilliant film for, for what it was trying to set out and do. You know, Nazis on the moon. It's just hilarious. Uh, I've not seen that. What's it called? You, Iron Sky. I, Iron Sky. Yes, Iron Sky. Uh, it's brilliant. Um, Sarah Palin is the president. Uh, there's a galactic space force. Uh, funny enough, um, there being a, a, a United oh Space Force coming along at the moment. Yeah, but no. The, the premise is that the Nazis retreated to the moon, um, and then there's always like space battles and stuff. Yes, Iron Sky. I recommend it for a. A modern day B movie, if that's your that's your thing. But anyway, the, the list. Oh, it reminds who's, me a bit of um, Sky Captain. Oh, and the world, and the world of tomorrow. tomorrow. I saw that. 
So, yeah. so, so what's the what's the top? Let's see, what's the, the the top five on that list? You're gonna have to give me a second to find the list again. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm trying to think actually. What would be the top five? Um, critics that were too harsh on. Uh, so one of my favourite uh, sci-fi films is Sucker Punch. Yep. Yep. No, I another one. Which uh, yeah, that's one that I thought definitely had a lot more going on than people gave it credit for. People saw Thighs and Busts and assumed that that's what the film was all about. Yeah, because there's a, there's, a, there's a sort of a... The, the main thing is, is, as far as my understanding, is that she's in a sort of mental facility and she's sort of the, being abused as such and her dancing is her sort of escapism from what's happening to her. Yeah, so it's a bit like Inception before Inception. So it was like a film that was a dream within a dream within a hallucination. And yeah, there were multiple layers going on, each one like symbolic of the layer above it. Mm. And so, yes, it was about a young woman who was shipped off to um, some sort of asylum where they were going to force a lobotomy onto her because her stepfather wanted uh, what was due to her through inheritance. That was it. There was some sort of wealth, wasn't it? Yes. It's a dark film, and um, I, I, yeah, I thought it put it off. So, is that on this list? It's, it's not. Well, so top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five is King Kong, nineteen seventy-six. Okay, not one I'm personally familiar. No, I have to admit, um, I'm not sure that's one that I've seen, but maybe I should. Is there a reason uh, why? Do they give a short little description as to why it's on the list? It does. Well, it gives a long description of why. Okay. It just said the special effects were off the charts for <laughs> when it was made. <laughs> and uh, so, so that, that's number five. Okay, King Kong. Number, num- number four is Predator Two. Okay. I'm a fan of the Predator films. Uh, number two wasn't the best, but I don't think. Apparently, it has a rating of twenty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's quite bad. Yeah, I think it's probably worth more than that. Okay, number three? Number three is Knowing, the 2009 Nicolas Cage film. I've not, no, I've not seen that one, but he has been in some pretty disastrous films. Um, which, isn't, which isn't Knowing? So, Knowing um, and Left Behind were two Nicolas Cage films that I watched back-to-back, because Knowing is all about Nicolas Cage's son, um, like has these visions or he can predict the future and he's basically uh, foretelling of the apocalypse, like the rapture that all the, the good humans on earth will be taken up to heaven by God and left behind is like conceptually the immediate sequel to that where Nicholas Cage is one of the few humans left on earth after the rapture. And he's got to kind of reconcile his self image with, you know, basically, Oh, I've been judged not worthy. See now on paper, that sounds like a great double bill, right? It, that that sounds like that's a, a fantastic premise. Is it pure the case? Is it pure the case that Nicolas Cage does what Nicolas Cage does best? Does he just cage up the whole thing? <laughs> Caging up, yeah. Ca- oh, it's it's definitely yeah, a thing. I guess it's fairly. It's a fairly reasonable uh, summary of what happens, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Like if you enjoy Nicolas Cage, you'll enjoy these. But no, I think that's uh, that's, that's quite a cool a, a cool idea. Sort of 
here's here's a here's a bigger picture, and now here's one of those people that didn't make it. It's that's quite that's quite a, a fantastic little idea for a, a, a twin a twin story. Well, keep an eye on them. Maybe they'll pop up on Netflix sometime soon. Okay, so go on. What's what's was that three or was that number two? Sorry, that was number three. Number two is Godzilla, which the one? Uh, the modern remake. Uh, is that the one with Mr. Breaking Bad in it? <laughs> Mr. Breaking Bad? Mr. Breaking Bad, yeah. Oh, him, yeah. The one who knocks on doors. That's the one. Because um, there's, been, there's been a lot of uh, gods in the films out there. Um, yeah, why... no. It, this is the, uh, the modern post-Cloverfield Godzilla. See, uh, with think... only 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, that is that is low. See, I think Cloverfield was actually a very good film. No, yeah, definitely, I loved it. Clover, um, Eleven Cloverfield Lane was also really good, but you could tell that it was tacked onto the franchise. Riding the coattails, if 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 Godzilla were to wear coattails, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I guess I'd think that Godzilla probably rode the coattails of Cloverfield. I see. Which came first? Um, I will look that up now. I think it's yeah. Cloverfield. I think it is Cloverfield, yeah. Um, obviously, Godzilla was, was long before Cloverfield, but I think they did a very good take yeah. on it. Um, so Cloverfield was 2000, and Godzilla was... Hang on. No, that's the wrong one. They're saying 2019. 2014. Ah, okay. Wow. That's uh, five years already. No, six years. Six years. So what's number one? Uh, Number one is The Thing. Which I thought was meant to be like, yeah, like this cult classic. It's amazing. Is it like John Carpenter's, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. You know, anything John Carpenter's involved with is good. I mean, again, that's that sort of... It's it's this whole thing of of, of cult status, as you say. Is uh, it's almost like people rediscovering lost classics and kind of giving it a sort of renewed sense of uh, fame. I think, that, I think that happens quite a lot with films. Um, you know, sort of so what's sort of what's happening at the moment that you think is going to be rediscovered in the future? Oh, what film do I think will be rediscovered in the future? Um, I almost wanted to say the Fast and Furious franchise, but I think that's <laughs> I think that's got a cult status of its own. Um, yeah. <laughs> good question. No, um, I don't know. What do I think would be a, a, a cult status film that we've perhaps watched now? And uh, maybe things like, um, say, um, Limitless or Source Code, those sort of mildly dystopian alternate future film. See, I really didn't enjoy Limitless. Um, just, I think, because I recognised that it was about uh, abusing Adderall, and I felt like I saw through the premise too easily. I mean, it really was sort of driving don't, the whole don't do drugs kids uh, yeah. rhetoric, sure. Um, or, or, you know, um, doping and um, uh, steroids and things like that, but yeah. But also, no. I think I took offence with the idea that, like, as an aspiring writer, the whole thing was that Bradley Cooper's character was an aspiring writer who wasn't productive, 
and then you took some Adderall, and then suddenly he's king of the stock market. And you know, the idea that people are only right because they're no good at anything else, I thought was a bit insulting. True, very true, very true. So you you mentioned there was a, a, a greater discussion topic around these that you wanted to sort of potentially write about. So what's your sort of uh, premise, or what would be your title per se? Uh, so basically, this website will self-destruct would be uh, a short essay about just the idea of um, putting a message out there into the void, knowing that it could be read, but not that it definitely would be. And there is some uh, video games that kind of play with similar ideas. And there's like been an uptick in kind of pen pal apps. And especially now in the lockdown, uh, people are more willing to kind of just reach out in general than we have done in the past. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, with the, the sci-fi movies, yeah, I thought, well, one of my favourite sci-fi films that I think people need to show some more love to is Hackers. Have you seen um, Is that the one with Angelina Jolie? That's exactly the one I'm talking about. It's the uh, 1995 film with Angelina Jolie. I mean, if ever, <laughs> if ever there was a B-movie, uh, that's got to be up there for me. Um, uh, was but I a- think it's genius. It's Sorry, just you... when they're doing the, uh, the sort of the, the end battle. It's oh, it's it's so sort of um, crazy and and it, it reminds me of um, um, what's the is it um, Sil- is it Silverfish the one with um, where the, the guy's a hacker and uh, and uh, Halle Berry's in it and he has to. Uh, create a, vi- a virus, and it's sort of this all hyper realistic um, CGI. When really you just know it'd be a guy typing out lines of boring code, but they can never have yeah. that in a film. It always has to, um, <laughs> you know, be more grand than it actually is. Yeah, well, because writing out boring lines of code would be boring. I think I. Part of what I fell in love with when I watched Hackers the first time years ago was just how over the top it was willing to go. It wasn't trying to be realistic. If you've seen films like uh, The Internship, where Owen Wilson uh, and I can't remember his name, Vince Vaughn, I think, go to the Google campus and they try to learn how to code in their mid-40s. It's really boring. Like they're, They're trying to look almost like respectably, like they know what coding is um, and they're not going over the top with it. But films like Hackers throw that out the window. Like they have, they project the image on the screen onto the characters as they're typing, and it's just so bonkers that it knows it's not taking itself seriously, and it deserves more than thirty-three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. No, it's it's very much a sort of hammy send-up, that's for sure. So yeah, I'd be writing a love letter to Hackers. That would be my my wee essay. I like that. That's is it, that, that feels like a, sort of a, a personal ode to a fond film. It's a um, vendetta. Against the critics is what it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> uh, just to correct uh, myself. Love just to correct myself, the film I was thinking of was Swordfish, not Silverfish. Swordfish. Okay. Uh, but that, which that probably is, wasn't as cheesy as Lawnmower Man. Uh, no, no, that's very true. That's very true. Uh, that in itself, I can't. I mean, the fact that there's a sequel to Lawnmower <laughs> Man uh, is, is, is quite yeah. something. So I uh, loved. I was going to say, what was your third topic? My third topic is a bizarre connection between two animations 
from 2012. Uh, so I'll ask you first if you've heard either of these. Do you know Gravity Falls? Are you a fan? Uh, I do know of Gravity Falls. Okay, so I'll give you like a brief recap of it. Gravity Falls is a Disney animation series created by Alex Hirsch, and it's got links to Rick and Morty. Okay. Uh, it's kind of in a similar vein. It's kind of um, the weird, esoteric, supernatural elements of the world. And uh, the story follows these two kids while on summer holiday. They're trapped with their, their grunkle, uh, <laughs> which is either a great uncle or a grumpy uncle. A gr- One of the two. A grunkle. Grunkle, yeah. Who I think runs we a mystery. adopt that going forward. That's fantastic. A grunkle. Oh, wait. Are we adopting? Are we the grunkles? Uh... Am I a grunkle? More, more, and so. Do, do you have a, a grumpy uncle? Uh, that could be a. Uh, I do, mostly because I spent most of my uh, younger years. Uh, <laughs> I think it was like a, sh- a show of affection, but I think it just came out annoying. You know how kids are. Fair enough. So, so you're you're partly the reason for him being a, a grunkle. Yeah, I can I can take responsibility for that. And if you're listening, grunkle, tell me. It's uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I think we've used the word grunkle enough times to make it a real thing now. Yeah, well, if Gravity Falls didn't, we have. The first episode of this podcast, we've coined a new phrase. Grunkle. Thank you, everybody. The second animation is called It's Such a Beautiful Day by an animator called Don Hertzfeldt. And he's most well known, well, I first heard of him for a short film on YouTube called Rejected which was um, like a basic black and white cartoon about pitched uh, adverts for products that got really dark and bizarre really quick. Is it ringing a bells for you? Uh, no, but I am very intrigued. So a sort of a, a darkly comic look at advertising. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and it kind of was followed kind of spiritually at least, spiritually at least by the ASDF movies which are like a collection of short, random skits on YouTube done in a similar sort of style. And okay. what connects both of these animations together is that they ha- each have a character, kind of a young child with some sort of disability. And in Gravity Falls, this is Paper Jam Dipper. In episode seven of Gravity Falls, uh, Double Dipper, the character Dipper realizes that his grunkle owns a photocopier that brings life to the things that it photocopies. Am I making sense? So far. And so he decides in order to uh, kind of have an easy time, instead of doing his chores, he's going to photocopy himself and get his photocopies that have come to life to do the chores for him. For him so he's sort cloning of himself. Sort of, he's cloning himself, but one of the sheets of paper gets jammed in the photocopier giving birth to Paper Jam Dipper, who kind of... I mean, it, <laughs> it's funny, and it's heartbreaking at the same time. And I recommend everyone to go and watch this episode. I have an enormous amount of, of affinity for Paper Jam Dipper. And so is he's he some been... sort of poorly deformed clone? Yeah, he's like, well, um, if you've ever had a piece of paper get stuck in a photocopier and it's not printed properly and you've pulled out the paper afterwards, it's the words are warped in weird ways. There are crinkles in the paper where they shouldn't be. And yeah, it just gives this clone so much more personality than the rest of them combined. Uh, I, yeah, I would want to adopt him. Well, I'm not sure. 
but in the end, he and the rest of the clones melt when they have a cup of water poured over them. Oh no! Like the Which is the tragic. West. Yeah, like the Wicked Witch of the West, but a little more innocent. And in Don Hertzfeld animation, it's such a beautiful day. There is um, a little boy by the seaside who has hooks, aluminium hooks for his hands. And he gets distracted by the moon and he tries to chase it and he runs into the sea and never comes back. And what I loved about both of these animations was that they can take something that's dark and sad, but make it safe through animation. Mm. I think that's something that's really interesting that you can never imagine a live action film with either of those characters. They only exist in animation. And I think sometimes you talk about animation and cartoons as though they're these sweet, innocent things for kids, but they can really tackle some complex ideas. No, I, I totally agree. That there's always certain things that animation has the capability to pull off and sometimes can get around things like um, critics or worries about violence or the way things are portrayed because they can just go with this. For instance, you know um, Kill Bill. Um, yeah. the, the scenes in Kill Bill that are animated, partly, I believe, because they said that the um, uh, the, 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 sort of the, the reviewers and the, the classification board probably wouldn't allow them to do it in live action. So there's certain scenes where there's like fight sequences and they do it in animation in black and white. And there's sort of like uh, blood spurts everywhere. And then it, when the, the scene's over, it comes back to live action and you see the aftermath. But they splice it really eloquently between the two. Um, and I think it works, in that, as you say, in that, because you can get away with certain things and you can go further with that sort of medium. Yeah, and I think that's where the most interesting art comes from, when its creators explore unique, uniquenesses that are inherent to the medium they're using. So what would be the title for your third piece? You know, I'm stuck on the title. Um, maybe something like A Tale of Two Characters, something like that. But the basic idea would be, um, yeah, just like charting the brief existence of these two very similar characters at a very similar point in time, just totally by chance. And, yeah, just giving them some more appreciation. Well, thank you, Reese, uh, for your three topics. Those are they're fantastic. I think they're very vibrant. I think it's a nice mix. Um, and you've done very oh, well. Oh, cheers. I watched the drawing for the first episode. Certainly. Uh, should I tell you my uh, three topics? Yeah. Do you want to pick mine while they're still fresh in your mind? Oh, that's a good point. Okay, I was going to wait till the end, but let's... Um, I can I, wait till the end. I can wait. Uh, no, let's do it. we can do it now. I think from those three, I, I, I think the love letter to the classic B-movie is probably my favourite. <laughs> Hackers, a love story. Yes. I like it. I think so. I think an ode to hackers. Uh, that's okay. great. A great little well, article. So I've not written any kind of blog posty article things in the past. What kind of things would you expect? Well, I think more sort of. Uh, I think a sort of a, a, a personal take or, or, or essay, you know, on on your thoughts on hackers, I suppose, and. Uh, weaving in 
the listicle and your thoughts on how some films can be uh, missed or go under the radar or get famous for reasons the director didn't necessarily expect. Cool. Well, I look forward to impressing you with the mate. Oh, fantastic. I look forward to it as well. Sounds good. Let's see your pictures then. Okay, so uh, I've done some similar scouring, I'll be honest. And the first one, the first one, it's um, it's actually a, a, a news piece on the BBC. And the title is called Coronavirus Will Hasten the Decline of Cash. Which so I, thought, I was almost hoping that because all of my references were quite old, that this podcast would age very well. And you just brought it right back to... Oh, yeah, no, I've, I've time-stamped this straight away. <laughs> uh, but there's something about this that I really like because um, there is something slightly dystopian about the idea of um, currency being phased out. Uh, and I mean, in, in some ways, I think this is a, a wider topic because I can't remember the last time I used cash myself to pay for something anyway. I think we're at a, a point in time where most uh, stores or points of exchange of currency will take cards. We have contactless. There are apps by companies like the likes of Monzo where you can use your card and get an up-to-the-minute or even instantaneous uh, feedback on your spending. When was the last time you used cash? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it must have been months ago. Um, I don't even remember the last time I took cash out. The, exactly. This is what they're saying. So, yeah, according, no, yeah. according to the article, it says that lockdown has led to a 60% fall in the number of withdrawals from cash machines, although people are taking out bigger sums. And experts are saying the long-term future of cash could be at risk before the UK is ready to cope. About 11 million withdrawals are still being made each week. However, there's much less demand for cash because obviously shops, bars, cafes, restaurants are all closed. So at the moment, especially, the majority of purchases are being made online. Now, I think the other issue people have at the moment is there is a worry about contamination when handing things like notes and change, for instance. Sure, yeah. Um, which is quite funny. There's, um, I say funny. Well, yeah. also, there's a lesser amount of demand for notes because people aren't going to clubs on a Friday night and snorting coke off. Well, that's true. That is true. Uh, unless you do that in the comfort of your own home, I suppose. I mean, stay, <laughs> stay safe. Um, you know, stay home, stay indoors. Yeah, stay the... indoors, but get wrecked while you're doing. Well, if if <laughs> if that's your thing, but I think the main, the main one of the things I this this sort of reminded me of in a way um, is do you know the um, Tom Clancy the Division um, series of video games? Okay, yeah. So what the main sort of premise of the division is that there is a thing in America called the dollar flu, and it is a sort of bioengineered virus that was transmitted through the monetary system. So handling of money, the so handling it's not like of a clever Marxist ruse. No, so hand, yeah, so basically, this 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 virus is being um, put onto effectively dirty money. 
quite literally dirty money. Oh, I see. And put into the system and uh, spreading through through that way. But I think the, 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 the my sort of point on this is if, say, cash does go, does that have an effect on things like the, the pound as a whole? Or is it all virtual? I mean, let's face it, the stock market is virtual anyway. And if people are happy with chip and pin um, and contactless particularly, the question then is, what's next? Um, yeah, no, I, I feel it's much easier for me to spend my cash when it's on my card. And even though I can check how much I have in my account through Monzo, uh, I rarely do. It's like, well, I know I can buy it, so I just spend it. It's, you don't have that physical reminder of um, your wallet getting lighter over time as you spend I mean, there's always these dystopian futures about, you know, currency has completely crashed and new items become the new currency. If you look at the Fallout games, for instance, you have bottle caps. Um, I, I always wonder if bags for life could be the new currency. Um, <laughs> uh, we have so many of them in the house and they're all worth at least 10 to 15p each, you know. Uh, well, they, they used to be, but like cars, I'm sure their value depreciates heavily once they leave the truck. Mind you, if my bag is old enough to achieve classic status, oh, vintage! Does, the, does that, that yeah? I mean, does the value go back up? It's oh, definitely. Yeah, there must be an eBay for collectors of plastic bags. Yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting article. Um, I mean, it says here that. Um, 30% of residents like having cash as an option, but as a result of lockdown, may now be comfortable using other methods of payment. And with 50% already operating predominantly cashless, that left only 20% who relied on notes and coins, many of whom were vulnerable. So I thought it was quite an interesting uh, take on people's habits during quarantine and lockdown. Um, I guess my biggest question would be, how is this going to affect, after we come out of lockdown, how is this going to affect the kind of people who rely on cash-in-hand jobs to make their living? Are they going to feel like there's more of a squeeze, like more, like they'll be chased for uh, the taxes that are due? But it's true. I mean, I suppose when you look at things like, say, um, dare I say, people who do um, property maintenance, and things like that. A lot of jobs is done in cash. Um, I mean, could we be seeing people do uh, Monzo to Monzo payments? I know you can get, um, for instance, pay PayPal. You can now get little um, like uh, payment card readers where people use those on, say, we go to a, a local market. A lot of people are changing over to those now. But I suppose you're right. Does it mean that... Um, payments under the radar will rapidly decline. Right, because if it's done through Monzo directly from one account to another, presumably that makes it easier to track or to monitor kind of uh, unusual payments, so no, which I, might otherwise go unclared. Yeah. So the reason why I picked this is I, I, I was quite taken by the idea of truly living in a sort of cashless, cashless society. Uh, and okay. whether it will dramatically affect any of us, or have we now got to the stage where you know we're, we're so used to not using cash? I mean, it, it actually annoys me sometimes going to a store and they say cash only, and you're like, 
It's it's it's, it's twenty twenty. We have Who so do you many. Think you are? We have so many ways oh, of. But again, it's partly because um, when you when you're using uh, say chip and pin at say your local um, off license or, or news agent, they there is a certain um, amount of that that goes to say a Visa or Mastercard as such. Sure. Yeah. That's why they have um, minimum spending sometimes. But no, I think I think uh, my my first article uh, would be sort of regarding living in a sort of, in a sort of cashless society. Uh, and, I do and, like that. So, would you be drawing on like examples from popular culture for what that might look like? Yeah. So again, referencing things like say the Fallout series. Um, also, you know, looking at various sci-fi films where you sort of you know, touch your uh, wrist on the device. And your 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 uh, money goes down or goes up from the transactions. Um, is that something similar in Minority Report, or is that just uh, scanning retinas for the sake of advertising? I can't remember you could pay through. Oh, of course, I remember, I remember that scene where he goes in and they say, uh, "Oh yes, Mr. Makamoto, we have uh, more vests that you like." <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's. Uh, a really good sort of look at how we deal without uh, money in the sort of the, the, the wider system, but more literally digital or virtual currency. Cool. Okay. So, so what's your second idea? Okay. So my second one is, um, have you heard of the uh, tribal gathering festival in Panama being under lockdown? Uh, can't say that I have. What's going on? What, what does it normally involve? Well, basically, the Tribal Gathering Festival was a week-long dance festival in Panama. And the festival and festival goers were placed under lockdown from March 15th. I think it was about... Oh, so they're still there. There are the about 40 people, apparently, still trapped uh, on a beach in, 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 near to a jungle that is apparently no longer the paradise they expected. Um, <laughs> it's it's quite an astonishing yeah. story. Uh, Vice um, did a piece called From Paradise to Hell, Trapped as a Music Festival because of COVID-19. Um, and, I mean, a lot of people were saying, well, why did you go... Um, but what people fail to realise is that the quarantine didn't happen um, until after they had gone to this festival. So oh, it's kind of it's 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 a much more sort of um, uh, eerie take on the fire festival. I think I'm not sure if okay, you've yeah, seen see the, the, the fire festival documentary, but this the, 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 I thought this was quite again quite a sort of uh, bizarre take on say. You know, um, going to an event and then finding it you can't leave. Um, I mean, you've seen things like um, Survivor, where you know the, the game show or or the reality show where people go to an island to survive and they vote each other off. These people went for a party, and and some and of them they are still even there. Have the option of getting voted off. No, and, and now they can't leave, or they only leave in dribs and drabs. So that, that that for me was more uh, a really sort of interesting and quite fascinating look at. Uh, and personally, regardless of a lockdown, 
a week-long festival. I think that's far too long anyway. Uh, And I guess the music's probably run out by that point. Like, I'm really curious as to the logistics of feeding and, uh, yeah, providing basic uh, materials to these people. Well, this was this is one of the one of the issues where, um, and I'll I'll um, I'll drop it into the, the the video that Vice did for a piece of it. One of the issues they had is that obviously people had a limited amount of food on the island, or that was available to them from the festival organisers. And one of the things they recommended or suggested is that people start working for the local um, residents in order to make money so they could pay for food. So you've literally gone for a holiday, and now it's a working holiday. So you're oh, having wow. to sort of start work to, yeah, it, it's it's quite a it's quite a thing. So, and presumably, it wouldn't be any kind of work that you're trained to do; it'd be unskilled manual labour. Sure, I mean there were things like you know, um, t- cutting leaves off palm trees or tending to you know local indigenous um, crops or, or or that sort of thing. Um, and one of the, 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 the there's a point in, in the video that's quite in a way it's quite humorous, saying that um, a lot of the festival goers had never heard of this coronavirus until halfway through the festival, when people started to get checked for it at the airport, because um, it, it didn't wow. hit Panama until I think it said half or two thirds of the way through the festival started. But there's a point where it says when the indigenous people left the festival because the whole point was um the festival there's, there's dance music but it, it's it's also getting in touch with your um your, your 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 true self and having uh all of these sort of indigenous people uh show you things like say um meditation and uh you know well-being they all up and left and everyone was like, is something going on? It's just the festival so It's literally left. just festival goers left. With um, no festival, no entertainment, barely any amenities and being told to work for some basic food and shelter. Essentially, yeah, it's quite it's quite something. So that 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 took my <laughs> that, that that took my interest as quite a, a quirky uh, or quite a, a surreal uh, I mean, have you seen the beach? The the, the 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 film The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio. No, um, no, what, what happened? Well, in in that they uh, go off in search of this um, island that people have been sort of talking about in in here, saying there's this hidden paradise. So he goes off in search of this island, and he finally reaches this island and finds other people are there as well, and they've created this little settlement. Um, and it's all fun and games, but then they actually find that there's like this um, drug gang on the other side of the island. And there's this whole weird dynamic between these uh, backpackers who've gone there to have like a crazy summer and end up sort of uh, almost or partially settling there, but then staying one sort of one foot ahead of basically these sort of dangerous drug gangs who have all these like plantations on the other side of the island <laughs> it's quite cool so yeah that was my if second you that was write my, that, that as a blog post what would that look uh i think it'd be something like um you know uh and and your 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 getaway turning into you know uh the, the last thing you could possibly imagine 
um, and, and sort of people still being stranded and, and, and were there any signs or what could they do? It also sort of reminded me of The Terminal. Have you seen The Terminal? Oh, yeah, the Tom Hanks film. Where he sort of, his, his country goes um, into um, rev- revolution and technically his state doesn't exist anymore. So he's uh, essentially trapped in the airport, yeah. which is actually based on a partially based on a true story. Um, the guy who was actually in one of is it um, um, uh, the, the French airport he was stuck in in Paris, I think, um, and he literally lived there for uh, quite a long time. Um, so no, I think is... I can barely stand to be in an airport terminal for two hours, <laughs> a week or. Yeah, so that, that was my second one, and then okay. my, my... So I'm imagining that almost as a dramatic rewriting of the experience, like as if you are there. Yeah, exactly. And um, what, how, how I might cope, and um, cool. what okay. I'd expect. Okay. I think that. Okay. What's number three? My third topic. Um, it's not coronavirus related. You'll be happy to know. <laughs> um, in 1989. Uh, tomorrow's world predicted what 2020 would look like in the modern home. Uh, if you've ever seen the classic TV show Tomorrow's World, I have. Yeah, I used to. Yeah, I, I have fond memories. Tell me, what, so, what did they predict? Uh, How uh, wrong were they? Well, it, it's funny. Some of them are completely off the mark, and then some are scarily quite close. Uh, and I think it's it's quite a nice mixture. So, for instance, um, some of their predictions were um, uh, wall sockets being integrated into the fabric or lining of the walls of the house. So, quite literally, you would just put a pad on the wall. So, like, your entire wall would be conductive in some oh, form. A big contactless charger. Which is what I thought was quite interesting because now, obviously, there's a lot of people. A lot of people have mobile phones and other devices that have wireless charging, and there's actually nothing really to stop you from taking a wireless charger and retrofitting it into your wall behind, say, um, some wallpaper or uh, a picture frame. I suppose it depends how close the NFC would work. But that was yeah. I thought was quite quite interesting. The other one that was quite good was uh, lighting that would automatically switch on and off as you walk between rooms. Well, that's actually oh, right. very easy to set up with um, sensors. Yeah. So and the uh, Philips view light bulbs. Yeah. So, but you can also have, um, in especially sort of say uh, higher uh, higher sort of residential properties, sort of bigger. Grand residential properties, we have a proper lighting control system. They can okay, be linked cool. to PIRs and sensors around the house and be programmed to come on as you enter a space or dim down. So that's actually, I'd say, pretty much achievable now. So that was quite good. Um, another thing they were saying was about playing music whilst shouting a command. Now, <laughs> we have things like, you know, Amazon Echo, Google Home. Um, the ability to say, you know, or hey Siri, play some music, that sort of thing. Um, that's probably, if anyone's listening to this uh, and you have Siri, I apologise. That's probably just uh, set everybody off. But I thought it was quite a good one. 
And then, yeah. Do you think it would work if we tried, uh, Alexa, why don't you donate five pounds to uh, Basic Pictures podcast? Sorry, Prompt Night. Prompt well, Night. Send money to Prompt Night. <laughs> do it. We'll have to see. Well, I'm sure if there's anyone out there, they can let us know. Um, the other thing that was quite interesting, which I thought was quite cool, was a, a window pane that could turn into a television or computer screen or artwork. So effectively what they're saying is, if you imagine privacy glass, where if you press a button, it clouds up. And you yeah. press a button, actually having, say, uh, the window turn into an LCD screen. That one's probably a little bit far-fetched, but you can, I'm pretty sure I have seen concepts at the very least for, say, a, 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 a TV screen uh, or a, a visual display that was clear. A projector, I can imagine. Yeah. So I, 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 my, the point of me raising this was, one, I thought it would be quite funny to look back and see what they were expecting uh, the abilities to be you know, or what, what we would have in our homes by 2020 and yeah. to see how close they were but also what I would like to have in say 10 to 15 years time uh, and okay. how, how close yeah. I think we are I mean it, it, connected technology at the moment is actually very very close um, I, I suppose also on, on the flip side I'd also want to talk about things what I think are potentially the uh, pitfalls of so-called smart technology um, and just how smart is it uh, when the you know the, the, the key input is still the human and with that is potential human error you know is, is smart tech only as smart as the person using it for instance okay so what what would you put in that list? Uh, what would I like in 10, 15 years' time? Um, yeah, or what do you worry might exist that maybe we don't need? Or I see, I see. Um, I mean, a, a robot a robot butler would always be nice. <laughs> but then if you think okay. about it, we already have Roombas. So does that mean that we're halfway there? You know? I mean, I've yet to have a Roomba bring me a drink from the fridge. Yeah, I suppose my main concern is: does it all end up like Wally, where we're all <laughs> humongous, overweight, lazy slobs in hover chairs who forget to know what going for a walk looks like or exercise, and you know, personal I mean, senses of after lockdown. Like I've gone up a t-shirt size. I don't leave the house anymore. Uh, I, I will say that we recently bought a, a pair of uh, a pair of scales, uh, bathroom scales, that has a smart app on them, um, and uh, I, I've never been um, cyber bullied by scales before. <laughs> so there, there's a danger. The danger is that uh, it's it's too honest. It's brutally honest. I think I think it hasn't got smart enough to know how to let you down gently shall we say no sure i watched um, interstellar again recently and i loved how the robot in that had a 90 percent honesty rating because <laughs> humans don't like everything being 100 percent honest we can't handle it. so yeah i think your scales need to be set at 90 percent honesty that's where you're going wrong yes they they it currently has a, a traffic light system with all of the <laughs> uh settings 
And dare I say, at the moment, it's looking fairly multicoloured. Um, perhaps I mean, a few, perhaps, perhaps a few less red. green than I expected. Um, sure. there's, a, there's a few amber and red in there that I'd like to, you know, swing the other way. Hopefully, hopefully, sometime soon. Well, I don't think you're alone in that. Like everyone I've spoken to seems to have found their jeans are fitting a bit tighter than the beginning of lockdown. Yeah, so although I have to say. I have to say, I think the, the, the one regulatory piece of exercise a day has prompted uh, us to actually, you know, go for, go for more walks than we might normally. Um, if you discount okay. sort of running for the bus and going up and down the escalators on the tube. Um, yeah, it's, I it's, mean, from uh, what I've heard, people aren't making the most of their one exercise a day. Uh, but maybe that's something that our listeners can tell us about. One of their experiences. This is true. Um, this is very true. Let's see if we can get a, a, a sort of a, a poll going. You know, yeah, exactly. are, are you are you staying in literally the whole time, or are you actually venturing out to go around the block and get a bit of fresh air? Because I tell you what, the yeah. air the air does Probably seem much fresher. It does, doesn't it? It's... So, so those are my those are my three topics. Cool. So if we just run through those again, you've got the the first one was cashless society. Yes. Uh, and, you know, um, does that all go dystopian or do we just survive as we are and no one misses it? And do all our, do our pockets become lighter without all that loose change? Oh, <laughs> I, I suppose I suppose uh, I haven't thought about the piggy bank industry. Um does does well, that mean I've just do, yeah? Do do they all become jobless because no one's saving their pennies anymore? Um, well, still pretty. You can have decorative piggy banks. This is true. This is true. Uh, the second one was the last festival on Earth. Um, okay. The the forty so people still trapped at a hedonistic uh, tribal gathering festival in Panama. Uh, and you know, uh, imagining what that might be like. Um, and the third topic was the 1989 Tomorrow's World predictions for 2020, how close they are, uh, and, and, and really um, what uh, I personally think we might get within a few more years, but is that uh, coming at a cost, shall we say, rather than anything that we should be a bit concerned about by going too far with smart tech. I like the third one the most, uh, kind of technology in the future, like acknowledging okay, past predictions. But I think you'd have to go a bit further, maybe just 10 years. I think because it's been about 30 years since tomorrow's world. This you maybe have to go 30 years in the future. No, I think, I think that's a fair thing to say. So You don't necessarily have to do all of your uh, predictions for being 30 years in the future, but like what might society look like in 10 years due to technological, technological changes, and then 20 years, and then 30 years. Yeah, so, so like a growing and encroaching danger. So, what might the home look like in, say, twenty fifty? Um, yeah, that'd oh, be cool. I think that'd be. I think that'd be a good one. Okay, so that's your that's your personal favourite. Yeah, that's my pick. Excellent. Okay, so we now have to go away and uh, write our articles, and we'll come back and I think present those articles. Uh, and then and then see what we come. Cool. Okay. All right then. I'm digging this. 
Well, listen. Um, I look forward to doing more. This has been episode one of Prompt Night, brought to you by the Basic Pitches. I've been That's us. I, I've, I've been Reese. Thank you very much, and uh, take care.